Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening and welcome to an adventure in history. We are so happy you're joining us tonight and we are well into, well into, a week into, this is the, the 2024. F- the first big show of the two, of 24. I love it. 24, 24, the 24, The year is going well so far. <laughs> it's off to a good start. Well. Busy as we always. We can only hope. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and. I'm going to beat you to it because I think our first show of each year, you always ask me if I've written any checks yet. Oh, right. Correctly. (laughs) If you've written them correctly. I don't have a hard transition with that. Oh, you don't? I don't. Okay. Yeah. I just, yeah, numbers are not my thing. So verbally, maybe I do. Okay. Like I'll say, oh, 23. Oh, wait, no, 24. We're going to do this. I mean, I might like drop that, but. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. So should we get get a word? Our very first word of 2020. We're bringing it back. Amphigury. Amphigury. Yes. Ooh. Amphigury. And is it a verb? It's a noun. A noun. Amphigury. It is a state of confusion. It's That is, uh, that could be uh, correct. It's a piece of writing that appears to have meaning, but is really just foolish nonsense. Not far off. Right. So, and you know, this is not to be, this is not our show. Our show is not Amphigury. It is not foolish nonsense. An adventure in amphigory. <laughs> we could have that as a follow-up show. I mean, some people might might think so, but we, we hope like, you're entertained. We can be alternate history. Yeah. Alternative history. <laughs> All right. So, shall we get to the uh, big yes. history highlights? As always, the things that happen tomorrow, the icebreakers, conversation starters, or perhaps winning bar trivia. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so, these are January 8th, 1790. President George Washington delivers the first State of the Union. Oh, Okay. You know, they have to by Congress, by, by, uh, in the constitution, it says you have to give a, a state of the union. Okay. But over time, and I think we might've discussed this once before that some have just like sent a letter. Oh, interesting. And said, read this into the, the record. Sure. But George Washington did it as a, as an actual talk. Right. Which makes sense. All right. 1815, the battle of New Orleans. Okay. That was a good one. And you are not old enough to have the song come into your head instantly, is it? It, I am not. No singing. That's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> Our age difference isn't even that much, but no. <laughs> well, in 1814, we took a little hike along with Colonel Jackson down to mighty Mississippi. We took a little bacon and we took a little beans and we caught the bloody British in a town of New Orleans. I should even remember on, that because I visited the uh, Hermitage exactly. and it was playing there. Now that you're singing it, I do remember it. Was it was really playing It there? was, yes. And okay. it's, on the, it's on the wall in one of the rooms. Okay, Jackson is not in my top half of the presidents, <laughs> but that makes me happy that they have the song playing oh, yes. It's kind of like, like yeah. the Candyman song going over and over again. Well, that battle was big for him. Oh, it made his yes. career, yes, so, 100%. Um, there was a lot dedicated to that. Yeah. But funnily enough, the, the if that's a word, funnily, funnily enough. Probably not. Probably not, but I like it. Uh, the war was already over, but they didn't know. Right. So they fought this battle for no, no reason. Details. All right, um, 1902. New York State Assemblyman Francis G. Landon gets a bill passed to criminalize men turning around on a street and looking at a woman in that way. Ooh. Talk about subjective. 
And and men have never objectified women again in New York. Right, yes. It solved everything. <laughs> I don't know but, what I think about that. But but I want to know, okay, so a man can leer at a woman if he does it to her face. Right, but he can't turn around and do it. And I want to know what the definition <laughs> of looking at a woman in that way. <laughs> oh, I mean, man. If, if I'm walking down the street and a, a pretty young woman walks past me and then a friend of mine a block down the street behind me yells my name and I turn around. Have yeah. I inadvertently <laughs> made a crime according to uh, Assemblyman Francis G. Landon in 1902? Possibly. What is that look? <laughs> well, you're giving me a look right now. Move along, man. <laughs> Move along. Uh, 1946, Elvis Presley receives his first guitar. Oh, that was good. Well, Who did it? Came? Did you? Does it say who it came from? I don't know. And oh. Forrest Gump, we don't see. We just see him playing, and then he <laughs> learns to walk, looking at Forrest Gump. There you go. So, uh, 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson declares war on poverty. It was good. You know, a he, lot can be said about Johnson. Yes, but he did attempt to do a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. 1978, Harvey Milk becomes the first openly gay person elected in public office in California. I saw that. Yeah, after uh-huh. already quite a career. Um, and he's still pretty young, even then. He was pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. And we had Jeff Daly on once, local mm-hmm. icon Jeff Daly, that shot the footage when Harvey Milk was killed. Mm-hmm. So the, at the beginning of the movie about Milk with Sean Penn, that's Jeff's footage. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Tragic. Uh, 1992, President George H.W. Bush vomits on the Prime Minister of Japan. <laughs> oh, the things that get recorded when you're... <laughs> A person of interest. I feel badly. I felt badly awful. at the time for him. Yes. You're traveling all over. You got crazy hours. And... I mean, I feel worse for the prime minister. Oh, sure. Nobody wants to be vomited on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, really, of all the places. <laughs> but to, 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 he was mercilessly mocked yes. afterwards. Awful. The old guy's just, just sick. Gotta, yeah. it, all, it happens to all of us. All right. Uh, 2002, President George W. Bush signs a No Child Left Behind Act into law. 2011, Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords is injured in a shooting rampage. But our history highlight of the day, the thing I think had the most impact on January 8th, 1918, President Wilson delivers the 14-point speech. Oh, okay. And the biggest thing, I mean, he called for a lot of things that basically the United States did not then except and a lot of things that were ignored by Europe, like no war reparations. Uh, but the one thing he did call for was a League of Nations. And even though that failed, it did eventually become the United Nations. Yeah. And it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. We should good. all talk together. Yes. In in one place, right? Yeah. So what I miss. The only thing was, is um, 1972, the NCAA grants freshman eligibility in two biggest team sports of basketball and football. So they allowed people to go to college or for one year and then commit to become a pro. Mm-hmm. Um, the Of course, the collegiate coaches and administrators did not like this rule um, and they didn't appreciate um and it was purely from an athletic perspective, right? Not from the well-being of that student who was not, not going to get any more education past one year. Mm-hmm. But the fact of team building became that much more difficult then um, because they couldn't plan on having them for more than one year. Yes. So, Especially if they're giving them a scholarship or something and then to lose them after a year. Right. I would kind of agree with that's a bit of a shame. 
I think so. I think that we could do college sports so much better than we do. But that's don't, for another show. Don't even get me going. <laughs> yes. We don't have enough minutes in the show. We don't. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have a fun show today. So this has become a tradition here. It has. I love it. It's a fun one. These are things that are turning 100 mm-hmm. or things that happened 100 years ago, 1924, because this is 2024. I know. Just... So some are small, some are mm-hmm. large, but these are things as you go through your life, you might think about, oh, Wow, this is 100 years old, or that happened exactly 100 years ago. Okay. And we're going to start with famous people who were born in, 20, in 1924. Mm-hmm. Marlon Brando, born April 3rd. Uh, George H.W. Bush is born June 12th. I wonder what he first vomited. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, the birth of Lauren Bacall, September 16th. The birth of Truman Capote, September 30th. Jimmy Carter was born on October 1st. Carol O'Connor was also born. We don't have her birth date. Carol O'Connor. Carol O'Connor, Archie Bunker. Don Knotts, super fun, and Gloria Vanderbilt. I kind of like this mix of people. It is quite a mix. Jimmy Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush. I really didn't. I did not know they were the same age. I know any of these people because some of the, like Don Knotts, it seems like he's been like 80 forever. Doesn't he? Right? Like he was probably 20 <laughs> he, and he looked Even in old. the Andy Griffith show, he, 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 looked he looked old. Older, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then don't even get me going on what was he doing in Three's Company. Oh. That was just sad. All right. Uh, but some famous people died as well. Uh, Vladimir Lenin, and they put him under glass. Oh, uh, right. Woodrow Wilson that we just mentioned. Uh, and then I like this. Well, I don't like this one, but I found this one interesting. The last California grizzly bear is sighted. Okay. Hunted to extinction, uh, what was thought to be a California grizzly bear was spotted in Sequoia National Park for the last time in 1924. The bear remains the symbol of the state flag of California. So you've killed them all off, and yet you still keep it on the flag. Yeah. Shame on you, California. A hundred years ago. A hundred years ago. Wow. Interesting. I would like to know what differentiates a California grizzly bear from any other grizzly bears. Other than the is obvious. It, is it just their driver's license? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, first Olympic Games took place in France. Uh, Happy Birthday to You was published. Which we can't sing because the family still has the oh. trademark or something on it, doesn't, doesn't I it? I think so. No, That's it why was the restaurants um, all do the... Michael Jackson who bought the rights <gasps> to Happy Birthday. Really? Google me if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, but I believe that he is the one that, that purchased that. Because that's why the, so the restaurants state. all sing something different now. Right. If you are that right. kind of person, You're right. tell mm-hmm. them to come sing to you. Um, Rand McNally publishes its first road atlas in April. Do kids even know what a road atlas no. is anymore? Or a map. A map. <laughs> See, when the zombie apocalypse happens and nobody can check their phones to figure out where they're going, at least I'm going to be able to know where we're going. <laughs> Because you keep yours handy? That will be my, well, I'll find a map and then I'll, that will be my reason for the group to keep me alive. Right. Because I'll be able to tell them where we should go. Or you'll sell it for lots of money and buy the food. (laughs) Uh, Metro Pictures, Goldwyn Pictures, and Lewis B. Mayer Company merged to form Metro Goldwyn Mayer MGM. That happens in April. Uh, The legendary image of a lion roaring from within a ribbon-like logo bearing the motto, Ars Gratia Artis. 
art for artist's sake, has been glimpsed before cinema hits such as The Wizard of Oz and Singing in the Rain. It means that the movie you're about to see comes from the studio of MGM. Formed in 1924, the story of the studio and the lion logo dates back a little earlier. Leo, as the lion became known, was originally the emblem of Goldwyn Pictures, a filmmaking company co-established by the producer Samuel Goldwyn in 1916. In 1920, the film distributor Marcus Lowe put money into Metro Pictures. Four years later, it merged with Goldwyn Pictures and also Louis B. Meyer Pictures. The studio became a powerful and influential presence in Hollywood, with the previously mentioned Louis B. Meyer as its head. It became especially well-known for its lavish musicals and later the James Bond series of films. The very first film screened with the MGM logo was intriguingly titled He Who Gets Slapped based on a Russian play. It's one of many well-known studios that have or are about to mark their first hundred years. Warner Brothers and Disney hit the milestone in, uh, they hit it in 2023. And Columbia Pictures also celebrates its centenary in 2024 as well. Wow. Now, I'm not a Vegas person. No, nope, But have you ever been to the MGM? <clears throat> no. I find it sad. They have, they have a lion, as I recall, at least last time I was there like 10 years ago. And he's just like in this big giant glass case. Oh, it's cage. a real lion? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And like people are taking their selfies with him. And he's just, it's not a pleasant. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of zoos anyway. I just feel like it's mean. Right. But at least Certain. like a big open zoo, like the Portland Zoo, they can walk around. Right. Not in a, For sure. a cage cage or in a giant cube. And that's what it feels like. Well, it is Vegas. It is true. <laughs> All right. So uh, other things. A bit of honey candy bar. I've never heard of this candy bar. Me either. All right. So maybe it didn't last to be 100. <laughs> uh, iodized table salt. And the iodine, what did that make it do? Or making it iodized? I it lasted longer. I guess so. I don't know. We'll have to research that. Okay. Uh, locking pliers. Interesting. <laughs> I like that one. So speaking of pliers, Ace Hardware Corporation is an American retailer's cooperative based in Oak Brook, Illinois. It is the world's largest hardware re- retail cooperative and the largest non-grocery American retail cooperative. Ace Hardware turning All on. All right. So we have those. Uh, Ashland Global is a chemical company headquartered in Wilmington, Delaware. Isn't every corporation headquartered in Delaware? <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> I know it's so small. And, and I would have to check to see what they make because I don't, I don't recognize that one. Uh, Associated Wholesale Grocers, AWG, is the largest cooperative food wholesaler in the United States and serves more than 4,000 locations in 36 states. So I didn't check to see what, what ones they, right. they support. Uh Calavo Growers Incorporated is an international consumer goods and farm products company. The company packages and distributes avocados and other fruits to restaurants and grocery stores worldwide. We appreciate those avocados. I was about to say. Uh, Duracell. Now, I've heard of that one. Duracell manufactures alkaline batteries, uh, specialty cells, rechargeables, and smart power systems. The company was founded by Samuel Rubin and Philip Mallory and is headquartered in both Chicago, Illinois, and Bethel, Connecticut. Okay. The Milwaukee Electric Tool Corporation develops, manufactures, and markets power tools. Never heard of them. (laughs) Quaker State is an American brand of motor oil. The company was founded by T.G. Finney and is now owned by Shell Incorporated. I've heard of them. Yeah. All right. uh, Simon & Schuster is a publishing company that was established by Richard Simon and Max Schuster in New York City. I've heard of them. I appreciate them. Uh, The Zale Corporation is a jewelry retailer that was founded in Wichita Falls, Texas. What an odd place. It is. And it's named Wichita Falls. Yeah. Well, I've heard of Wichita Falls. I've just... Why would 
Zales, which I've heard of, right. be there. All right, so the uh, first crossword puzzle book was published by Simon & Schuster in this year of April, uh, April 18th. Okay. Uh, Little Orphan Annie comic strip by Harold Gray is first published in the New York Daily News. The sun will come out. Tomorrow. <laughs> I knew I could get you. Uh, <laughs> Toastmasters International is founded. Ooh, there's another have, club we could join. I was going to say, have you ever been to a Toastmasters meeting? I haven't, but they have them here. They are. They're mm-hmm. here, yes. Yeah. Uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade turned one, turns 100 this year. Well, that's going to be fun. Some kind of fun to think about. I wonder if they're doing anything gigantic. Oh, I'm sure. They should. <laughs> they should bring back the live animals instead of the balloon animals. Do, should we tell them that they're turning 100? Do you think they know? They should know. I would hope <laughs> they know. Uh, the di- dynamic loudspeaker was invented by Rice and Kellogg. That seems like it would be very loud. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So words, according to Webster's, words that appeared in print for the first time. Oh, I love this. The first time they'd ever been in print was in 1924. Answering machine. I am stunned by that. Bible belt. Okay, interesting. Bookmobile. Cub Scout. Huh. Dump truck. Geiger counter. Okay. Lone Ranger. Parking lot. Oh, interesting. Parking lot. Where did they say, where did they say to park <laughs> before that? Uh, prime rate. Superhighway, Tossed Salad, Wisecrack, Wrecking Ball, and Zipper. 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 Interesting. But that's not something that turned 100. We've yeah. talked about the zipper before. We did. I think it turned like last year or the year before. Okay. It probably had a, a different that's name. A probably, fastener. Interlocking right. fastener or something like that. But appeared, that's, I, I love those tra- the tracking of that. Um, so there's the Greenwich Time sig- Signal. On February 5th, the Royal Greenwich Observatory in London began broadcasting the hourly time signals known as the Greenwich Time Signal or the BBC Pips. I think that, and, and I, I only know this because I do like some BBC shows. At the top of the hour, before it's three o'clock, there's a pip, 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 oh. Greenwich Mean Time, three o'clock. Oh. So I think that's what the pips, what they're talking about there. Okay. Interesting. Uh, television. First television images. Uh, John Barrett's pioneering implementation of thallium sulfide cell allowed the Scottish inventor to become the first person to produce a live moving grayscale television image from reflected light. These were the world's first rudimentary TV images created in February of 1924. Well, we appreciate that, of course. Uh, The engineer had worked on a method of sending a beam of light through a disc spinning incredibly fast that was punched with holes. This allowed an image to be captured, transmitted, and turned back into the original image at a receiver. This game-changing technology wasn't quite so flash in reality. One of Baird's friends described a workshop where his invention was made from crates, biscuit tins, cardboard, and darning needles held together with string and glue rather than gleaming metal and solder. And it worked. In 1924, Baird's creation was able to display its first images. These were simple outlines ranging from a Maltese cross to letters of the alphabet. Baird was able to raise enough money to work in London where his engineering with sound and pictures would be finessed. The most amazing genius ever to live. (laughs) Right. <laughs> TV. Yeah. it's. I mean, starting and, with and, biscuit tins and, and cardboard. And what a crime that nobody knows his name. I know. I didn't even know how to say his middle name, so I didn't. But John Baird. There we go. I think it's actually John Logie Baird. Okay. Thank L-O-G-I-E. you, John. L-O-G-I-E. 
But why do we not remember him? This is a shame. <laughs> I feel so terrible for him. What a legacy. Nope. All right. Um, the Spiral Bound Notebook. Are you a fan? Uh, no, not really anymore. See, I, don't, I, mean, yeah. we, I mean, we were, used to use them, right? As I mean, kids, yeah, yeah. Uh, for school. The humble spiral-bound notebook, a ubiquitous companion in classrooms, offices, and creative spaces, has a rich and fascinating history that spans a century. The inception of the spiral-bound design can be traced back to the early 20th century, a time when traditional notebooks were evolving to meet the demands of a rapidly changing world. In the 1920s, an innovative leap was made in the world of stationery when the spiral-binding technique was introduced. This revolutionary design featured a metal or plastic coil that elegantly wound through the pages, providing not only a secure and durable binding, but also allowing the notebook to lay flat, a convenience appreciated by writers, students, and professionals alike. Credit goes to Edward Podosek, an English inventor with numerous patents to his name. I love that whole write-up. It, it is quite poetic. It's <laughs> quite it's nice. Such, yes. I, I feel like that should be a voiceover in like an oldie timey news report. And our kids would be like, where's my tablet? Yes. <laughs> uh, the Indian Citizenship Act was passed. Uh, the Indian Citizenship Act was signed into law by President Calvin Coolidge on June 2nd. It conferred citizenship on all Native Americans born within the United States. Well, that was awfully big in the United States. In 1924, yes. 1924. I know. I included that one because 1924. I know. Yeah. Why was that not 1724? Yeah. <laughs> or earlier. Well, of course, we didn't have the United States. 1724. We were colonies, but still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's, I mean, even just the reference that they were born within the United States. Well, actually, they were born, yeah. you know, in their home. <laughs> uh, Wheaties born in 1924. It emerged as a pioneering product in the realm of breakfast cereals, originally introduced as Washburn's Gold Medal Whole Wheat Flakes in 1924. Created by Washburn Crosby Company, the precursor to General Mills, Wheaties earned its nickname, the Breakfast of Champions, due to its strategic marketing approach. Wheaties gained national attention in the 1930s when the brand pioneered the use of athlete endorsements, featuring prominent sports figures on its iconic orange box. The first athlete to grace the Wheaties box was baseball legend Lou Gehrig, setting the stage for a tradition that would endure for decades. This innovative marketing strategy not only propelled Wheaties to the forefront of the cereal market, but also turned the orange box into a symbol of athletic excellence. My father had to have a bowl of Wheaties every morning. It's, I think it is good for you. It tastes mm-hmm. terrible, though. It's terrible. Yeah. Might as well just be shredding the box. <laughs> And eating the box. <laughs> eating the fiber. Get your fiber early. Kleenex, introduced by Kimberly Clark in 1924. Kleenex was initially marketed as a disposable sanitary alternative to the traditional cold cream towel. The idea of a convenient and disposable facial tissue gained traction, and by 1930, Kleenex had transitioned from a makeup remover to the facial tissue we know today. During World War II, Kleenex gained further popularity as it found its way into soldiers' pockets, providing a convenient solution for personal hygiene in challenging circumstances. That's an understatement. The post-war era saw an expansion of the brand into various styles and designs, adapting to the evolving needs and preferences of consumers. Kleenex became synonymous with comfort, care, and hygiene, evolving beyond a mere tissue to a symbol of solace and support. The introduction of lotion-infused tissues and specialty varieties further solidified Kleenex is a go-to choice for a gentle touch. I hate the uh, 
the lotion infused. Oh, I love that one. Uh, oh, it's so much better. <laughs> Band-Aids. Uh, though invented in 1920, it wasn't until 1924 that Johnson & Johnson began mass producing the adhesive bandage brand known as Band-Aid. There we go. Uh, go ahead. Do you want to try this one? No, no, you uh, do it. Yeah, I was, I was going <laughs> to let you do this because like, that was a short one. But, no. Um, invention of the electroencephalogram, which you <laughs> medical people out there should uh, know that I'm probably mispronouncing that. In 1924, German psychiatrist Dr. Hans Berger invented the first human, whatever that word is, or the EEG. Now, we've all heard of that. I do know the EEG. His yes. announcement was initially met with skepticism, and it was five years later before the he actually published his technique for recording the electrical activity of the human brain from the surface of the head. Pretty cool. Better than cutting the head open and check. Much better. Uh, more than one galaxy. Uh, in November, American astronomer Edwin Hubble announced his discovery that Andromeda, previously believed to be a nebula, is actually another galaxy. He further stunned the scientific community by declaring that the Milky Way is one of many such galaxies in the universe. I should have kept going with that because I like the space stuff. We're not the only ones. We're not the only ones. What a concept. There's a lot of planets out there. Yeah. A lot of stars out there. All right. Dum Dum Lollipops. I'm going to let you do this one. Uh, it's a, a little kid. They are popular in my home. Uh, the story of Dum Dums begins in 1924 when Akron Candy Company, later renamed Spangler Candy Company, introduced these whimsically named lollipops to the world. Originally crafted as a simple and affordable sweet treat during the Great Depression, Dum Dums quickly won the hearts of candy enthusiasts with their distinct round shape and an array of delightful flavors. The name Dum Dums was chosen to convey the idea that these lollipops were easy even for the youngest candy lovers to pronounce. As time marches on, Dum Dums continue to evolve, introducing a captivating assortment of flavors that kept fans coming back for more. The famous mystery flavor, a result of the flavor switch during production, adds an element of surprise and became a cherished aspect of the Dum Dum experience. Is it? Uh, nobody wants the mystery one in my home. No. No. Nobody, no. Nobody wants mystery food in their mouth. And, you know, my kids don't call them Dum Dums. They're lollipops. Well, exactly. Right? I actually did not know the word dum-dum for like the longest time. Right. I was like, what is a dum-dum? It, it seems, so, yeah. yeah. Marlboro cigarettes, originally introduced in 1924, is a women's cigarette with a red tip to hide lipstick stains. Mm. There's some marketing genius for you. Marlboro underwent a dramatic transformation in the mid-20th century. In the early 1950s, amidst growing health concerns linked to smoking, Marlboro took a bold step to rebrand itself. The introduction of the Marlboro Man campaign in 1955, featuring rugged cowboys and wide-open landscapes, marked a pivotal moment. This imagery uh, rug of a rugged and free-spirited transformed Marlboro from a filtered cigarette aimed at women to a symbol of masculinity and adventure. The campaign's success propelled Marlboro into the forefront of the tobacco industry, making it one of the best-selling cigarette brands globally. The Marlboro Man became an enduring cultural icon representing a certain rugged individualism despite the controversies surrounding tobacco use and his later uh, death of lung cancer. Yeah, little so. kind of a little asterisk right there. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so these are because yes. because we, we we weren't sure if, uh, how much time we we're gonna have. We got okay. a few minutes left. So these are some of the popular foods and beverages from the night from 1924. So if you time traveled and you were in 1924, these are the things you're gonna be served. I love it. Baked bean sandwiches. Passing. <laughs> Baked ham. Banana sandwiches. Sounds interesting. Bee's Knees, which is a cocktail made from gin, honey, and lemon juice. That sounds good. Beef tenderloin. Butterscotch cake. That sounds good. Caesar salad. 
chicken a la king, chicken salad, clam chowder. Way to go. A hundred years ago, they're eating clam chowder and everybody's liking it. <laughs> Club soda, uh, Coca-Cola, codfish cakes. I don't know how I feel about that. Ugh. Codfish cakes? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, mean it, is it going to be like a crab cake just made probably, out of Probably, yeah. So, yeah, okay. you know. Uh, deviled eggs. Uh, Gatsby sandwiches, and now a Gatsby sandwich is a foot-long sub stuffed with meat, french fries, cheese, tomato sauce, fried eggs, and salad. It originated in Cape Town, South Africa, and is still a favorite dish among among those who are from uh, Cape Town. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. That sounds terrible, actually. Hmm. Um, Highball. Highball is a cocktail made from two parts club soda and one part scotch. Icebox cake. This cake is made from chocolate wafers and whipping cream. A Mary Pickford. And that's a cocktail made from light rum, pineapple juice, grenadine, and maraschino cherries. The name... Uh, the drink was named after Mary Pickford, a famous stage and screen actress whose career spanned five decades. Sounds good. Meatballs, mint julep. That's a cocktail made from bourbon, mint leaves, and simple syrup. And we're out of time. Oh, so that's are. all you're going to get served in this uh, 1924 restaurant. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> Go make some history. And uh, 24 is going to be a great year. So we'll see you next time around. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.